0: Jacob was a man transformed, a man who had a journey to undertake and a, and a journey that concluded with his name being changed to Israel, a, a name that is forever identified with God's people and God's land. So at the beginning at our talk this week, we need to reflect upon this man and think that there's something about this man that we too need to identify with. But what is it? Now, I, I, I need to confess. It's good to confess, isn't it? It's, it's, it's good to get it out early as well. I, I do need to confess. When we were doing the, the Bible readings last year as a family, I, I literally had to say to, to, to Lindsay and the children, time out. I have to make a confession. I don't like this man. And the children looked at me in horror. But it was a a very serious point. I couldn't understand why why he was a patriarch, why why God defined himself as the God of Jacob, when this was a man who who deceived his father. Uh, This was a man who who took his brother's birthright and and stole his blessing. This is a man who, who loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. This was a man who showed preferential treatment to Joseph over his
1: sons. What was it about this man that God says, I am the God of Jacob?
0: And so then I embarked on this study, which we're going to share this week. And, and, and in my mind, I, I, I felt that I was going to find out why Jacob is such a, a wonderful man. And, and in a way, I was going to defend Esau because I felt that he had bad press. I felt that he was much better than others presented him as. And let me just share with you at the outset... I discovered that Jacob was a marvelous man of faith, absolutely tremendous, and I couldn't defend Esau. In fact, my conclusion of Esau was that he was worse than I first imagined. When we think about Jacob, there's a number of decisions that he made that we can't understand, and to understand any life, we have to, I believe, start at the beginning. And I believe to understand Jacob, we have to understand Esau. And I believe that this big twin of his had a, a very deep and profound psychological impact upon Jacob. And this drove him in the decisions that he made. Should we just open up our scriptures then and, and just look at the chapter that we were reading together with Brother Wayne? And
1: I believe that Esau shaped the life of Jacob, his twin. So
0: there then, in Genesis chapter 25, and and these are well-known words, aren't they, to us. And and Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her, and And she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went out to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. Now I want us just to to notice, first of all, that this is 20 years into their marriage. And this is the hallmark of faithfulness, isn't it? There was Rebecca and Isaac, and they knew that they were going to receive the promise, and they waited. And so we should always remember that when we're, we're thinking about these characters of faith. And God was going to provide. And, 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 and it wasn't going to be just one child. It was going to be two. It was going to be uh, twins, wasn't it? And notice that phrase, the
1: children struggled together within her. The wrestling took place between these two boys before they even took their first breath.
0: There was a warfare in the womb, and to such an extent that it was was painful to Rebecca. And although she knew that she was a a vessel, an heir of salvation in that sense, she inquires of the Lord, and, and, and she says there, notice in verse 22, Why am I thus? And in other words, she's saying, why is this happening to me? I want you to imagine that as we begin our week together. She's saying, she's, she's receiving the promise. And, and uh, the warfare is, is so extreme that the pain is so acute. She
1: says to God in heaven, why is this happening to me? If I knew that it was so painful, the idea here,
0: I wouldn't have asked. Now that, not placing any question on the faithfulness of Rebecca, what it merely describes is the the ferocity of this warfare before these children were, were even born into this world.
1: And there's a lovely little hint here, isn't there? And a quotation we all know so well:
0: "Through much tribulation, we shall enter." into the kingdom of God. You can put in your margin, Acts 14, verse 22, words we all know so incredibly well. But this was the point, because this man had been chosen to go on a a journey of transformation, and it begins before he was even born. And I want you to notice as well that it says there in verse 23 that the elders shall serve the younger. In other words, this was not going to be a natural order. There was going to be a struggle that was going to take place. This is not a a natural um, affair of things, is it? that the elder shall serve the younger. Even that description, it describes a struggle. Plus, two nations are in thy womb, and and two manner of people. So, although twins, entirely different, totally opposite. But the phrase I want you to notice, it says there, halfway down verse 23, shall be separated from thy bowels Now, We we may look at that verse and those words there and think that that describes the the, the birth of these children, but that's not suggested by the Hebrew, that the idea here is that these children will be so different, so diverse, that when they take their first breath, they will
1: be set on two different directions. Right? Two manner of people. And,
0: and I personally believe, and, and, and just imagine she's inquired of God and God has, has, has spelt out this Bible prophecy and I believe that this becomes the, the driving force in Rebecca's life. So when we, we're thinking about Rebecca in, in what takes place later, I encourage you to come back to Genesis chapter 25 and God has told her that the elder shall serve the younger. And I believe that helps to explain many of the decisions that Rebecca later makes. She was a faithful woman, but this became her driving force. Now, twins share this, this unique bond, don't they? That they have this shared genetics and, and common experiences. And I think it's, 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 it's very important that, that Jacob was part of a twin, in, in other words, as, as the wrestling was taking place and as the journey was about to begin, what, what God was, was telling Jacob that there's a, there's a bit of Esau within him. I want you to think about that because I believe the entire lifetime of Jacob was to remove that which was natural,
1: the Esau that resided within him. And it was natural because they were twins, And so here then,
0: brothers and sisters, this this man that is going to be changed to Israel, we see our common experience, don't we? We are born with a nature, a nature that is Esau, a nature that is self-centered and self-serving. And our whole life in Christ is all about mortifying the members, isn't it? It's, It's words of the Apostle Paul. Can you see that? Suddenly now we've got New Testament writings and we're connecting to the life of Jacob. For all of us in our collective journeys to the kingdom of God, it's about removing the Esau within us. And that's what Jacob too had to learn. And it was through the power of transformation. Well, the difference between these two boys was certainly illustrated in their birth. In verse 25, just just notice here. Well, look at verse 24. When Rebekah's days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's
1: heel, and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them.
0: just want to pause a little bit, because this is, this is very important. This is very instructive. So, so notice, first of all, the, the eldest of the twins was Esau there, and he first came out red. And we've got the, the words on the screen here. This is, this is super helpful, because that word red there is Admony, and you'll notice right away the connection with Adam. This man was earthly, Adam and Eve, comes from the root of Adam. And in the description of Esau, it's describing him as ruddy or red. So there was a distinctive mark upon Esau. He was red. And as you looked upon him, you you saw the the redness of his complexion. And and, and the only conclusion you could draw when you looked at this baby Esau was this was a, a young child that was bursting with vitality. That's the idea here. He was energetic, bursting with life and vitality. He was a a picture of health. Notice. And the description here is that he was all over like a hairy garment. A hairy garment. And other translations will say that that word hairy is rough garment. A few things then. This is the meaning of Esau. And I cannot stress this enough because I believe we come up with all kinds of interpretations of their names. And we're being shown here that their names were given in the way that they appeared. And that is all. So when you looked at Esau, when Rebekah and Isaac looked at Esau, they could see that he was hairy and they called him the hairy one. That's the meaning of the name Esau. And, And that's quite a, a picture, isn't it? Because in a way, it's an unusual thing. My mum tells me I didn't grow my first hair until 18 months. Yet here, this baby was absolutely full from top to toe with hair. And he, he's pictured like a baby hunter, isn't he? He's like a, a, a mini hunter with the already the, the, the taste of, 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 of wild game with a with a, a life for adventure. This is the, the picture that's being painted here. He's this, he's this baby
1: hunter in miniature form, carrying this rough garment. It's almost as
0: if he's gone out and he's hunted and he's killed and he's wearing that which he has killed. Can you see that? This is the picture that's being painted. And what's also fascinating is that the root name of Esau, and this is, this is important. The root name of Esau means fully made. And and the connection is, is that he's a child that's born fully haired. He looks like he's a mature child. And so the meaning of the name Esau, hairy one, comes from the root
1: to be fully made. Like the complete man. And the root here, to do,
0: to fashion, and to make, um, gives the sense of making something in one's strength. So as family and friends and loved ones came to see Isaac and Rebekah and their child Esau, they looked at him and and they would see that he was was bursting with vitality and he was covered in this, this hunter's hair and he was strong and he was healthy and you knew he was destined for greatness. That's the idea. He was destined for greatness, was Esau. Now in contrast, there was... Jacob. And we see there in verse 26 that he took hold of Esau's heel. And so therefore, then his name means to grab the heel and the heel catcher. And this is a powerful metaphor, isn't it? Because I've already said that there was a bit of Esau within within Jacob. And so then, as Jacob is born and he's holding on to this heel, his whole life, his whole life is all about letting go of that heel. It's a very powerful metaphor, isn't it, at birth. He's born in a certain way, and he's got to learn through godly experience that he's got to let go of that heel. Now, a number of you have come up to me and, and, and given me answers to my questions, and many of you have said, you know what? Jacob is a supplanter. And I, I, I didn't say that yesterday, but I, I, I don't agree. Can I just show you where the name supplanter comes from? So Genesis chapter 27, have a look at this, and I want you to, to notice this because the Scriptures does not describe Jacob as a deceiver and a supplanter. We suppose he is. The scriptures do not say that. So here in Genesis chapter 27, and Esau is is absolutely fuming. He's lost the birthright, he's lost the blessing, and he's, he's, he's now frustrated with his father. And look what he says there in verse 36. He said, Is it not he rightly named Jacob, which means heel catcher, for he has supplanted me, these two times i want us all to notice that because in your margin it says supplanter in genesis chapter 25 but his name is not supplanter it's a name that was given by the way that they appeared simply hairy one and a heel catcher and it was esau which we're going to see this morning a, a wicked 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 man who would believe this man and 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 Esau, having lost all these things, he says, my brother, and he applies this name as a heel catcher, and he, he applies this negative connotation,
1: he says, he's a, he's a supplanter, he's, he's usurped me. he hadn't usurped him at all. Can you see that? That's a
0: very important point to, to, to lay out here. So then, right at the beginning of our week, we see here that Esau is fully made, that's the, the meaning of his name, he's fully made. Yet Jacob, in his life, he has to be godly made. And that's the lesson that we begin with this week. The life of Jacob is being fashioned into the stature of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the two contrasts. So I want you to remember that. Supplanter was the nickname that Esau gave Jacob. It is not the name that God gave him. I want us always to remember that, because that's a a very important point. I think sometimes we go wrong in our interpretations of this man's life. So we've seen here that there's a difference in the way that they were born. Let's now see. It's, It's certainly pronounced when they become adults. So have a look then in verse 27 of Genesis chapter 25. So the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a playman man, dwelling in tents. So the first thing I, I want you to, to notice is that he was a, a cunning hunter, and you'll know what that word means. That word cunning means knowledgeable, intimate knowledge. It's the, it's the word that used of Adam and Eve when Eve conceived, when Adam knew her. So it's a, an incredibly intimate word that's being used here. So, so in other words then, this is all that Esau did, And this is all he knew. He was a hunter. He was a born killer. He was a magnificent hunter. He could could spot a prey. He could track the prey. He could kill the prey, prey absolutely with ease. Right? This is the picture that's being painted of Esau.
1: He could track and he could slay any animal. And this is all he did all day long.
0: And he was a hunter. And we open up our concordance, and the only time we
1: come across that word hunter is with one other man. And it's Nimrod. Where everything went wrong, when, when God's way went
0: the other way. And there was a separation between the path to life and the path to death. And it tells us that, that Nimrod was the, the mighty hunter, and he defied God. And this is the same word that's used our Esau. So is this suggesting then that this is a man who was defiantly opposed to almighty God in heaven? And it's also fascinating when we reflect for a moment that it was, it was, it was Nimrod who, who founded Babylon and the Babylonians and, and as Brother John told us, all the way through scripture, right through to Revelation that the Babylonians, both natural and spiritual,
1: are against God's people. What about Esau? He founded the Edomites, didn't he? Again,
0: a group of people that are always opposed to God and his children. That's fascinating, isn't it? How how the scripture draws out this comparison. And the very name of Nimrod means we will rebel. And I believe that's the spirit of Esau here. He's rebelling against his father, we're going to see in a moment. So in contrast here with all the things that we've said about Esau, it says about Jacob there that he was a a plain man in verse 27 at the end. And he dwelt
1: in tents. So he's a shepherd. And he looks after his flock. And he's a plain man. And I think it's uh, rather unfortunate
0: that The King James uses that word because you'll know what that word is. It's a perfect man. It's the word that's used of Job in Job 1 verse 1, that he was a perfect and upright man and he eschewed evil. And we know about Job that Job was going to learn so much, wasn't he? So much in his life. But at the beginning, God saw him and was very pleased with him. And this is a, a similar comparison with Jacob. As a young man, he pleased God, but he's got to go on this marvelous journey to to be transformed. But he began in a good place. That's something else I want us to
1: notice. He was a good man. He was perfect in his generation.
0: So I suggest then that the picture that's being painted is one of priorities and values. All Esau cared for was for the hunt and for the prey, out there in the adrenaline rush, the here and now.
1: But in comparison, Jacob, all he cared about was the promises, the patriarchs, the preservation of the seed. Can you
0: see that, brothers and sisters? What a, what a difference between two boys and two paths. One is all about kingdom promises in the future and the other is all about the here and the now and the immediate and the gratification of self. Can you see that? That's what's being painted here. Now, I think when we do read those words at the end of verse 27, that he was a plain man dwelling in tents, that we can, can, if we're not careful, we can go, oh, good old Jacob. He was tent-bound and kind of seemingly docile. You could almost imagine him with a herbal tea and a good book, can't you? And meanwhile, Esau, the fierce hunter, prowls the wild. You can can imagine that picture. But what I would suggest here at the end of verse 27, that the real drama was not taking place in the forest. The real drama was taking place under canvas. Shall we have a look? Let's have a look at Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. You, You could think by those words there that... Jacob dwelling in tents, he's seemingly overshadowed,
1: yet appearances, as we know, can be deceiving. So virtually the the, the same words are picked up from Genesis chapter 25, and here in Hebrews
0: 11 and verse 9, we're, we're reading about the faith of Abraham. Hebrews 11 verse 9, By faith Abraham, Sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles. You'll notice in your margin, you may have in your your own Bible, tents. This is the idea of Genesis chapter 25. So Hebrews 11, he's picking up Genesis chapter 25 and, 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 and painting a particular picture for us. Dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. So I want you to imagine, there's Esau and he's kind of prowling the forest. There he is, this born killer, this marvelous, marvelous hunter. And meanwhile, Jacob is
1: with his father Isaac, and for a time he's with Abraham, and he's in a tent. And what's he doing? He's got a Bible open, and he's
0: learning. Can you see what Jacob's doing? There's Esau, out in the forest, a fully made man, and Jacob... He's being made by God. He's got a Bible in hand and he wants to listen to his father and he wants to listen to his grandfather and he wants to hear about the promises. And if you do the computation, he's about 15 years of age until Abraham passes off the scene. Up to the age of 15, there he was, united, these three men. Can you imagine that? How exciting. Tell me about what happened when you took dad up Mount Moriah in Genesis chapter 22. Tell me when you were called to come out of Ur of the
1: Chaldees, and there's Jacob. Whilst his foolish brother is out there being the hunter. But there's something else here. It tells us that there he was dwelling in a tent. I want us to
0: reflect upon that for a moment. Why was Abraham dwelling in a tent?
1: He'd received the promise by now. That was his land because he was waiting for the promises to be fulfilled at the establishment of God's coming kingdom. And so there
0: was Abraham in the land that had been promised him, and he's there in a tent. And there's Isaac, his son, in a land that's been promised him at that time, in a tent. And Jacob's got it all to do in a land that he knows has been promised his family, in a tent. And as Jacob looked round and he saw old, old Abraham, his grandfather, and his father, Isaac. Not only were these the two great patriarchs, but I believe they shared a similar experience. There was something in that tent, other than Scripture, that united them and the love of the promises.
1: There was Jacob, and he was having difficulty with his brother, Esau. What about Abraham? Ah, oh, Abraham had difficulties, didn't he? He had Difficulties with Lot.
0: When Lot picked the fertile platter of the Jordan, where Abraham chose the land of Canaan. So when he looked at his grandfather, he would have known grandfather made decisions that were really hard. Here I am in the tent, and my, my brother's having all
1: the fun out there. But granddad made these decisions too. And he had so much exhortation with his dad. Can we have a
0: look at this? Let's come back to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. And what we want to do now is to think about two other brothers. They're half-brothers this time, Isaac and Ishmael. And and look at this. I don't know whether we've noticed this or really reflected upon this. And and we know that this was going to be through a blessing of Hagar, that she was going to have a, a great son and a a great nation would come from him, the son of Ishmael. Verse 16, these are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names by their towns and by their castles, 12 princes according to their nations. And that word castles you may have there is is fortresses. And and there was Isaac. The the one had gone up Mount Moriah, had done all these things in faith, and there was Ishmael, his half-brother. And he'd had 12 princes as sons, and there they all were, enjoying themselves in their castles and their fortresses. And there he was, In a tent with his dad and his son. What a
1: contrast. Did it in faith. You see that? Did it in faith. Not the here and now. God's
0: kingly promises. So when Jacob, this young man, looked at his father, he knew he'd done it. His father had done it. He too had to do it too. Let's see the challenge that poor Jacob had. Have a look at Genesis chapter 36 now. Genesis 36. And and verse 31, as you you glance down from verse 31 to the end of the chapter, you see the, the descendants of Esau here. And it says there in verse 31, And these are the kings that raid in the land of Edom. I want you to notice that. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had been promised a land and a people.
1: The first king would be Saul. Many, many, many years before then, there were kings of Eden. How would that feel for Jacob? Suddenly, his big brother becomes
0: a king of his province. And as you glance down, you can see the whole list of these ancestry here. And look at verse 40, and these are the names of the dukes that came of Esau. Verse 43, Duke Magiel, Duke Eram, these were the dukes of Edom, according to their habitations in the land of their possession. He is Esau, the father of the Edomites. So before then, there were any kings of Israel, there were a whole host of kings in the land of Edom. And here you've got you've got sovereign power, you've got political status, you've got, you've got land. You, you can imagine Esau here as a as a king of the realm, and he would have had his. His, his military forces, he would have had his secret services. He, he would have had his political heads. He would have had his treasurers.
1: He would have had his board of chief executives. Whilst Jacob was in a tent Can you see the contrast? You've got to believe, haven't you? If you're Jacob and you see
0: your brother and the whole family there, You've got to believe.
1: Can can you imagine? Can you imagine family dinner parties? Can you imagine that? When
0: Esau roars up with his fast car, and there he is. He's flanked by his women, and he's he's draped
1: with his riches, and there's, there's Jacob coming out of his tent with his Bible. This is the picture that's being painted. If you want to become... At Jacob and be
0: transformed to Israel. This is the journey we have to undertake. It's an amazing journey. These are the decisions that he made. And there was Esau in his great metropolis, and he was a, a powerful man. He was a powerful man. Yet, as we know, there's no break in scripture. Have a look at verse 1 of chapter 37, and you can just connect verse 43 of chapter 36 to verse 1 of chapter 37. And meanwhile, whilst Esau was enjoying the great successes of this life,
1: Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. You can put in your margin Hebrews 11 verse 9. That's how Abraham got there. The chronicles of the faithful. And Jacob is there too. So I've painted a picture, and it's a very vivid
0: picture, isn't it, of the contrast between these two boys. And I've already said that Isaac was a faithful man. So why is it that Isaac preferred Esau over Jacob? Shall we just have a look at the verse here? It's Genesis chapter 25, and verse 28. I'll read it, and then I just want you to reflect on it for a moment. And Jacob...
1: Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. I just want to think about
0: this because it is a a bit of a conundrum, isn't it? How is this possible? How can a father prefer one over another when they are two so different boys? Well, I I think it is helpful to, to look at other translations here. It says there, Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison. And you've got other um, translations here. So the first one in the ESV, he ate of his game. The NASB, a taste for game. And then the Young's literal translation, which I think is perhaps the most helpful, for his hunting is in his mouth. Now perhaps when we came to this chapter, we might have thought that, that, that Isaac um, loved his stomach and uh, Jacob was a bit of a master chef and he kind of whipped up some kind of five-star gourmet
1: meal with a, with a sprinkle of this and a dash of that, and, and that pleased Isaac. And, and we might be thinking that right now. But I don't think
0: it is that at all.
1: I just want you to to look at that word
0: venison. It's an unusual word. It's obviously game meat. But why it's interesting is that word venison is exactly the same Hebrew word that's used in verse 27 of hunter. I'd like us all to mark that because this is a, a big question that is asked of Jacob.
1: So the venison is the same word as hunter.
0: So although the translators have used that word venison, the Hebrew is really strongly
1: directing us slightly elsewhere that it's a taste of association. It's the taste of the hunt. It's not the taste of the venison, per se, but it's the taste of the thrill of experiencing what his son experienced that day. So as Isaac smelt
0: the spicy meat and ate of it, what he was doing as he ate that, he
1: was thinking about his son. His son, the great hunter. The one who ruled the lands. And perhaps this is a, is a natural thing for,
0: for Isaac to do because he was a quiet man. And, and, and in Esau, this is a man who is, he's bigger than life, isn't he? He's larger than life, is this man?
1: But that's the idea that's been brought out. It's the idea that he delighted in his son's physical prowess. And this was a delight to him. It brought him pride. Now, brothers and sisters, clearly his son had captured Isaac's heart. And if
0: we try and relate it to ourselves, what is that? What is Isaac doing? And something we can
1: all fall into. It's living vicariously, isn't it? It's living through our children. I've got three teenagers, it's so easy to do it. And when
0: you've got children that have got special aptitudes and talents and abilities that perhaps you don't have, suddenly you get excited and you have plans for them. And I say brothers and sisters, and we're right in it with three teenagers, the sister Lindsay and myself. It's so important what seeds we plant. In their minds, what dreams we nurture
1: within their hearts. We can lose them. We can easily lose them. And this is the danger here.
0: He had been caught up with, with Esau's masculinity, his, his toughness,
1: his, his macho. But we need to beware of what we take pride in with our children. So the real story then, very important lesson for us all, that the real story then
0: begins with the the birthright here in verse 30. And and I believe this birthright is going to reshape their lives, it's going to cast a long shadow upon both of them. It was going to be a moment that neither of them are going to forget.
1: Verse 30 then of, of Genesis chapter 25. And Esau said to Jacob, feed me, I pray thee, with
0: that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And I want you to notice there that uh, the, the pottage, I'm sure you can see, is in italic. So here Esau is saying to his brother, give me some of that red. It's quite a, an emphatic statement. And the, the thing I think we need to notice right away is that word red there in verse 30 is the same word that's used to describe him in verse 25. Can you see that? It's the same word. It's a word that identifies itself with him, the here and now, something that's earthly, something that just gives earthly results, something that's short term. So it's like metaphoric. Of course, this was a, a delicious meal, right? Jacob was being opportunistic, but it, it was a metaphor and it became in symbol him. And it was. It was his kind of thing, and he wanted it. He, he demanded it. And of course, Esau wasn't on the verge of death because he's going to eat it. A, a mere soup, he's going to get up, and he's going to go off on his way. But, but this was someone who had immediate needs that needed to be satisfied. So I find this really interesting. There he is, red. Think about it. There he is, red. He takes some of the red... And then he's called
1: Edom. He's renamed red. So there's three reds. He's born a color red. He eats the red.
0: And he's renamed red. Well, what is that telling us? This is a, this is a, a play out of a Bible prophecy, isn't it? It's like a, this red distinctive mark that he had. It's like a, it's like a mark of a curse. It's like a, a prophecy which is going to play out. He is the red. And he's going to eat the red, and then he's going to be called the red. And so in other words then, from that time thereafter, men and women are going to look at Esau and say, you're the one who gave away the birthright. He's the red one. Can you see that? This, this, this mark that he had at the beginning, which was this distinctive mark, and a mark that was a, a figure of bursting energy and vitality, becomes a curse. He becomes like Cain, a walking
1: Cain. A man with a curse. you see that? Isn't that powerful? God always knew. It tells us, doesn't it,
0: that God was always in control with this Jacob and Esau situation. First thing, then, that Jacob says in in, in verse 31, sell me this day thy birthright. And, And notice at the end of verse 34, That he despised, Esau despised his birthright. We could quickly read over those words. I want us to think about that for a moment. To despise the birthright is to despise the covenants of promise. Is to despise what his father and his grandfather there in a tent stood for. You could imagine there he was out in the forest. He's mocking those three in the
1: the tent. He despised it. He cared nothing for it. It wasn't for him. But but it goes more than that, I think. It goes much deeper. To despise the birthright is to despise God. You know, when we, we look at these two brothers, Esau and Jacob, we, we, can,
0: we can often think that um, Esau's a bit of a lovable rogue, can't we? And um, we just didn't pay attention in Sunday school. We, we can... We can Picture that, can't we, with a a bit of a smile.
1: This mighty hunter. The world places so much importance on the external. On achievements and accomplishments. And this is what this man was
0: all about. And this is why sometimes we think he's a bit of a lovable rogue, because he was... Maybe in our hearts and hearts, we'd love to be an Esau rather than that quiet man, Jacob.
1: But not now, because we've seen what it's all about. This man was relentless. He was a go-getter, was Esau. But God looks deeper. We need to remember
0: that in our own lives, and ecclesial life, as we're making our way towards God's kingdom. God looks so much deeper than we do, brothers and sisters. So much deeper. We shouldn't be impressed with what we do in ecclesial life. We should just listen to one another
1: and help in each other and leave those things to the Lord God in heaven. He was far worse than a lovable rogue. I want to show you how
0: serious it was to despise the birthright. There's three aspects of a birthright when we look in Scripture. And and that language there is very strong, that he despised the birthright. So so the first aspect there is that the the birthright, the one who received the birthright within the family, they were dedicated to God. In other words, they became a priest of the family. They they became, as it were, spiritually responsible for that family. And, And I want you just to think about that, what an amazing, amazing, Responsibility that is in family life. Yet
1: Esau looked at that and said, I don't want that. The second responsibility is to be given authority
0: over the family. You are like the the recording brother of the family, and you're
1: mainly responsible for, for caring for all the family, making sure that everyone was okay. And Esau said, I don't want that. And the third one, which is a little surprising that he rejected it, was the, the double portion. And
0: Esau said, I don't want that. So when you look at those three things there, what, what would you say Esau didn't want? If you were to summarize those three things, I suggest this. Firstly, he didn't want anything that signed it up or a God-given
1: responsibility. He didn't want any God-responsibilities in his life. And the second, he didn't want anything about the future.
0: He wanted the here and now. That's fair to say, isn't it? If you looked at those three things, I don't want any God-given responsibility, and I don't want anything that that is about the future. I want something that's here and now. And, And isn't it amazing that the Lord Jesus... And the epistles pick this up, that the attitude of those at the time of Christ's return is, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Can you see that? Isn't that an amazing thing? To forfeit, to forfeit the responsibility of the firstborn, really, is to be of the frame of the world today, isn't it? The world doesn't want any God-given responsibility. And it suddenly doesn't want anything for the future. It wants to live for today. And you can imagine Esau, as he looks at his father, he thinks, you know what, I don't want to wait for the double portion. I don't want to wait for
1: my father to die. I want something now. And he rejected the laws. Come to Hebrews chapter 12 now. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse sixteen it tells us two words, two phrases that paint,
0: I believe, the complete picture of Esau. The writer says here, "Lest there be any fornicator or profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright." Just want to look at those two words. That the the latter one is an easier one to think about. A profane person you might have in your margin. Um, Someone who is devoid of religion. The picture is, even if you had the most powerful microscope and you looked at the veins of Esau, you'd see no spirituality there. That's the idea. There was nothing in him that was spiritual. Here he was. He'd been raised by Isaac in this wonderful family. You cannot believe it, but there was nothing in him that was spiritual. He was devoid of anything spiritual. He was completely empty of God. Completely empty of God. But the other word, and uh, we're all adults today, so the other word is, um, is a little sensitive. The word fornicator. It's the Greek word pornos. And, and right away, you'll, you'll have a word association there. And the word that's being used of Esau is someone who is a male prostitute. Someone who indulges in unlawful sexual intercourse. And and I'm saying this because I'm trying to put into your hearts and minds the reason why Jacob behaved the way that he did. This was his brother. So suddenly he's not just a a lovable rogue. He's someone who is standing defiantly against God. Can we just quickly go on a, a little journey together? Let's see if we can connect the dots. Come with me to Genesis chapter 26. And
1: we want to think about this fornication. Genesis chapter 26 and, and verse 34. You've got the two wives of Esau here. Esau
0: was 40 years old when he took to wife Judith, the daughter of Berai, the Hittite, and Bashima, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. So, so there was God, and he tells Abraham, I need you to marry within the family, your family, for, for the need to, to preserve the covenant. And so that then became the instruction of Isaac, and that then became the instruction of Jacob and Esau. And Esau goes out to the Hittites to take two wives. Now, what's interesting when you look at verse 34, and you might not, um, it might not jump out at you, but the name Judith and the name Bashima happen to be Hebrew names. You, you'd think that they were Hittite names, but they're not. They're Hebrew names. And the name Judith strangely means Jewess or praised. It's almost like Esau is saying, she's a Jewish dad. I believe Esau gave her this name. And Bashemoth, and, and, and we know about the sacrifices, that they'd be sweet-smelling sacrifices. The name Bashemoth means sweet and smelling. And, and, and can you imagine here, as, 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 as Esau's presenting her to his father, this reminds you of the sacrifices, Dad. He's disguising,
1: he's, he's hiding his path, isn't he? He's covering his tracks. These are hidden. And when you come to
0: chapter 28, this is after Isaac blesses Jacob, and this becomes then a a catalyst for Esau. He wants to try and please his father. And so then you see in verse 9, he goes over to Ishmael and takes one of Ishmael's daughters. But again, that's proof that he doesn't
1: listen in Sunday school because Ishmael wasn't part of the promises. It was Isaac. Come with me now to the most damning of all, uh, Genesis chapter
0: 36. And I believe there in chapter uh, 26 that they are names that Esau gave his wives. But here in chapter 36, we get the names unveiled. Their true names are unmasked. And you see there in verse 2 that he took his wives, and I believe these are the names, the true names of these women. But the one I want to, to note here is that one of them is called a holy barma. And I just, just notice here that holy barma, you'll see on the screen here, has two roots, ohel, which means tent, and bama high place. So this woman, her name is Tent of the High Place. And the name barma refers to high places of worship, refers to pagan worship, idolatry. This now is showing us that this woman was associated with Canaanite worship, the worship of Baal and Asherah. And anyone
1: who knows anything about that period, you will know that it's marked by temple prostitutes. And the scriptures say that Esau was a fornicate. How it! Now we begin to understand the situation
0: that Jacob found himself in. Now, growing up, there's one person I could never fool, and she's here today, and that's my mum. And there's something about mothers inside, and I know that with my own three children, there's something that Sister Lindsay, she just doesn't miss things, and I'm sure lots of smiling sisters in the audience. It's true, isn't it? There's something about her. A woman's intuition. And and there's something about Rebecca here because she takes one look at these two women. Can we see her assessment here? It's it's in Genesis chapter 27. Genesis chapter 27 and verse 46. And she takes one look. There's Esau and he's covering up his tracks and he's giving her the new names and he's trying to impress his father and he brings in a daughter of Ishmael and he thinks everything's fine and Rebecca takes one look And she says these words. I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. So he looks at these two daughters. She looks at these two daughters. And she calls them the daughters of Heth. Notice she does it twice. One's a daughter of Heth. The other's a daughter of Heth. The daughter of Heth. If Jacob take a wife of the daughters of Heth, such as these which are as the daughters of the land, what good shall be my life do me? So she says, she takes
1: a look at one of them. She goes, daughter of Heth. She takes a look at the other one and says, the daughter of Heth. These are the daughters of Canaan. Now, who was Heth? Well, his name means terror. And he brought terror to God's people. And he was a son. He was a son, wasn't he? Of Canaan. And in Genesis 10, verse 15, he was actually the founder of the Hittites. So here then, she takes a look at this woman, a look at this woman, and she says, These are not just women from the Hittites. She's a daughter of Heth. She's a daughter of Heth. In other words, they are the worst of men. This is Esau.
0: They are the worst of Canaan. They could have been Heth's daughters themselves. He doesn't
1: doesn't go out and, and pick some nice girls. He picks the worst. Do you want to know how bad the Hittites were? Let's go to our final passage.
0: Words of Moses to Joshua and God's people. Deuteronomy chapter
1: 20. The Hittites were so evil and there's Esau and he brings in these two women
0: and there's Jacob and he sees what's, what's happening and these are the instructions of God through Moses here in Deuteronomy chapter 20 verse 13, when the Lord thy God hath delivered it into thy hand, this is the land they're on the verge of the land thou hast thou shalt smite every male there of with the edge of the sword. But the women and the little ones and the cattle and all that is in the city, even the spoil thereof, shalt thou take unto thyself. And they shall eat thy spoil of thine enemies, which the Lord thy God hath given thee. So, so when they went into the land, they were going to come up against opposition. And God says, I need you to, to, to wipe out, to destroy all the soldiers, all the men that have got to go. But you
1: make sure that you spare the women and the cattle. And you, you kind of view that as a spoil. You've got to preserve them. With an exception. Verse 17. But thou shalt utterly destroy them. Namely, and this is the list.
0: And notice the first one. The Hittites. The Amorites. The Canaanites. The Perizzites. And the Hivites. Hittites, top of the list. Daughters of Heth. The worst of the Hittites. Esau had picked. So in other words... When Joshua went in and came up against the Hittites, you didn't spare any. Father, mother, children, cattle, the lot. They are so corrupted. Why? Verse 18. That they teach you not to do after all their abominations, which they have done unto their gods, so should ye sin against the Lord your God. Why the Hittites? Why? Because they're associated in verse 18 with the abominations, the immoral religious acts. And what were the immoral religious acts of the Hittites?
1: There was idol worship. There was children's sacrifices. And there was temple prostitution. And this is what Esau brings in the camp. And Rebecca says with this perception of a mother, with the eye
0: of faith, they are the worst of the worst. Now, brothers and sisters, as we conclude now, the reason why I wanted to spend some time here, because doesn't this explain Jacob's behavior? Two faces, two destinies. They are two destinies here that are mapped out with these two men. One to life and the other to death. And I want you to just imagine for a moment, you're Jacob and your eldest brother. He's he's preferred by his father. And he's in
1: line for the blessing. And he's on the verge of becoming a member of the line of Christ. What are you going to do? You're going to do everything, aren't you? You're going to do everything in your powers to stop
0: it. And so, to understand Jacob is to understand his situation. And as the young people just join us now, another way to think about this in the, in the final moments now, without Esau in Jacob's life, Jacob wouldn't have embarked on this incredible journey of highs and lows, of victory and defeats and ultimate transformation. There was something so evil, so repentant, so, 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 so opposing with, with Esau, that said Jacob, who's this, who's this perfect man, this all right man on this journey. It took something so bad of Esau to send Jacob on his journey. And the reason why I emphasize that, Jacob needed an Esau. Esau was the fire that refined Jacob. He was the, the catalyst for, for Jacob's transformation. And in our own lives, brothers and sisters, and now young people, in our own lives,
1: every Esau we face helps us to become a stronger Israel. So we've got to face these Esaus head on, haven't we? Without Esau, there is no growth. That's the question. I ask you to reflect upon now, as we finish our first session together, what is your easel?